0: Welcome to the Sword and Trial podcast. The Sword and Trial is a ministry of Founders Ministries and Founders Exist for the Recovery of the Gospel and the Reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. Glad to have you join us again today for this conversation. We look forward to uh, talking pastorally about one of the most wonderful doctrines in the Bible. But before we get to that, we want to talk about a few things coming up. If you are interested at all or have thought about at all, coming to the 2023 Founders Conference, which is going to be on biblical anthropology, asking the question and answering it from scripture. What is man? We encourage you to sign up soon. The registrations are coming in. We're very encouraged about that. And it does look like it's going to sell out before too long. So if you're interested at all, go to founders.org and look for the link for the 2023 Founders Conference where Joel Beakey will be there. Uh, Bradley Pierce will be there. vodie Balkum, Paul Washer will be there. They'll be joining us together with some other special guests that we're going to have during the conference we're going to have a panel that will reflect upon the 40 years of founders ministries because next year 2023 is our 40th anniversary so tom nettles fred malone and bill askell will be joining us as we reflect on 40 years now why those guys because those are original Founders board members, and uh, they know all the secrets from the beginning. So it'll be a fun time. I've been looking uh, at some old letters and even some old video that was available in those years. And uh, let me just say, it's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's just it's amazing to see what God has done in 40 years. So go to founders.org and sign up for that. We also have a book that's coming out by Fred Malone. It's one of the first little books that we published as Founders Press, and we're now, we've redesigned it and it's been re edited and put up a string of pearls, unstrung, a theological journey to into believers' baptism. Some of you may not know, but Fred was a Baptist when he was converted, and then he went to Reform Theological Seminary to study for the ministry, became convinced of paedobaptism. baptism. I became a pastor in a PCA church, and as his children were born and he was beginning to grapple with that practical question in a very personal way, what do I do? here. He went back and studied the scriptures and had a real crisis, a theological crisis in his life because he he saw believers baptism in the scriptures. And he talked to his fellow elders, talked to uh, the presbytery. They asked him to write a paper, which he did to explain his convictions. And he handled it in a very honorable way. I mean, this this is a, a study in how to change your theological positions if God brings you to change such theological position. So he's a model in how to do it. But then that paper that he wrote, he has turned into this little book, A String of Pearls Unstrung, which he uses as a metaphor to describe how the theology that supports and undergirds paedobaptism is like a string of pearls and once the string is broken the pearls begin to fall off and uh, what you're left with is what the scripture teaches about credo baptism. So that little book is going to be available. You can pre-order it right now for $7 and we encourage you to again go to founders.org and you can find more information about it and place your order. It will be out God willing
1: in the next few weeks. You know in the providence of God that must have been a very difficult time for Fred and for his family and for his church, um, but also in the providence of God. I'm sure that it brought much blessing uh, to all the parties involved.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it fits with what we want to talk about because that is the doctrine, the comforting doctrine that we want to discuss today. And I didn't know Fred back in those days, but I knew him shortly after that, after he had made his Baptist convictions known and uh, he wasn't sure what to do, he discovered in an old bookstore... Uh, an old copy of James Boyce's Abstract of Systematic Theology. Mm. And that's the systematic theology that uh, James Boyce wrote. James Boyce was the founder, first president of the Southern Methodist Theological Seminary now in Louisville, Kentucky. And the book was kind of put together from his lecture notes on systematic theology. And Fred found it, and he connected with Ernie Reisinger because Ernie had come to Reform Seminary and preached in chapel, and mm. he did so as a Baptist. So Fred connected with Ernie, showed him the book. Ernie was excited. So Ernie uh, got his church to finance the republication of Boyce's Abstract of, Principle, uh, Abstract of uh, Theology, and the, that book then got to be distributed throughout the Southern Baptist Convention and beyond and was greatly used of God to promote what became the Reformed Baptist Movement. Mm. So you can look at that and see God's providence. Well, you know, Fred was uncertain. He thought his ministry was over, didn't know what he would do. Uh, He went to serve with Ernie at North Pompano Baptist Church in Southeast Florida for a few years and then moved to Fort Worth, Texas to pursue a PhD in New Testament. Mm -hmm. And that's where I met Fred. Uh, I was a student at Southwestern as well. And so we got connected that way. And I look back on that, I think, man, that was an amazing providence. That Mm -hmm. was back
1: in 1979, 1980, uh, right around there things you never would have planned or never could have come up with yourself <laughs> but Again, in God's certain plan, I mean, he weaves things together in such a way um, that works out better for us and better for his glory than anything we could have planned or anything that we could have done.
0: That's right. And, and providence, the teaching of the Bible about God's providence gives great comfort and it, and it gives ballast to our ships. You know, mm. we, we are like ships sailing through seas and sometimes those seas get very high waves and storms and winds and it looks like everything's gonna capsize. And if we're only looking at the moment, Uh, We can think, oh my, you know, my life is over. This is going to end poorly and everything is lost. But if we can look through the lens of scripture and let the teaching of God's word discipline our thinking, then we'll have to face the difficulties of any given moment or the blessings of any given moment, but we'll do so
1: in light of this overarching teaching. You know, it's interesting. (laughs) Um, I heard recently a Roman Catholic uh, describe providence as the act of God in which he kind of peeks behind the curtain and winks at us. <laughs> and what he meant by that is God's working in history, that he makes it so obvious that it's only him doing it, that you have to say, oh yes, God did this thing. But that's not necessarily how Protestants would understand the doctrine of divine providence. No. Oh. Um, you know, divine providence uh, comes out of the, the work of the Godhead ad intra, um, internally in which God decrees all that will come to pass. And out of that decree then comes the creation of everything that is made, and then the upholding and the uh, governance of that creation. And that's what we think of as providence, yeah. God upholding <laughs> the creation and God directing all things in creation toward the end for which he created. Them. Yeah, that's right. And, and
0: providence exists, and it's true, because of God and who God is, mm-hmm. what God is like, what God mm-hmm. revealed himself to be. So everything you said is exactly right. Of course, this is a doctrine that is not uh, fully appreciated in our days. It ought to be. It is more and more, in, at least in my generation, my my years. But it has been severely attacked mm-hmm. as well. It's it's attacked by people who misunderstand predestination. Mm-hmm. It's attacked even by those who who want to maintain the language of predestination and providence, and yet completely redefine it. I'm thinking of uh, Greg Boyd's book, The God of the possible, you mm-hmm. know, God of the possible, and w- which he says, you know, God is like a, a really smart meteorologist, yeah. you know, so he can see the weather and patterns and make predictions, but sometimes things happen that ca- catch even God off guard and you just have to know he did the best he could.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, a denial of a robust view of the doctrine of providence is really just a step or two removed from open theism, process exactly theism, and, we, and you know we've seen people who have gone from denying a robust view of providence into eventually process theism. And it's a very, very dangerous place for one's soul. It is.
0: If you want a case study in this, you can just track the maze, that was the title of one of his books, uh, of Clark Pinnock. Mm -hmm. Clark Pinnock in many respects was the grandfather of the inerrancy movement in the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm -hmm. He was the professor of Paige Patterson Mm -hmm. at New Orleans Seminary. And he was a, a Calvinist and an inerrantist. And then he gave up his Calvinism, gave up his inerrancy, gave up, his understanding of Providence and became full blown open theist, maybe process theologian. Mm-hmm. I mean that that trajectory of Clark Pinnock is a cautionary tale. On this
1: very issue, I I one time heard a joke, and perhaps it's in bad taste, but somebody said after Clark Pinnock died and went to heaven, God said, "Oh, Clark, what a pleasant surprise!" (laughs) Yeah, that's what he would hope. Uh, Well, let's uh, let's talk about providence because as pastors, this
0: is something that informs everything that we do, especially our personal counseling. people. Mm -hmm. Because you see people in life, that we we go through blessings and trials, and then kind of in between times where you don't really feel too blessed or too tried. Mm -hmm. But blessings and trials, and because of sin, we tend not to respond well to either blessings or trials. When Mm -hmm. blessings come, we can look at them and put too much emphasis on them and cling to them too tightly, or try to trace the the beginnings and the reasons for those blessings in ways that will be unhealthy and wrong, according to scripture. And when trials come, we can do the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. God is against me. He's punishing me. And uh, because of, of uh, my sin, these things have come upon me and that is not necessarily true as well. So mm-hmm. if we have a robust understanding of providence as Christians then we can sail through life through the trials through the pleasant seas with a joy with a contentment knowing that man we're going to we're going to enjoy every blessing we're going to persevere through every trial and we're going to do so not because of the blessings or the trials we're going to do so because
1: of what is going on in heaven yeah, what you know, God's the, revealed the puritans referred to them as frowning providences and smiling providences but it's all the providence of God i mean sometimes we can look at the maybe the story of our own lives and we can see the way in which maybe something difficult happened to us, but then out of that difficulty came blessing. We can say, oh, I see the providence of God in that. But we don't ever say that when we see hardship in which we never see any blessing. (laughs) And just because we don't see any blessing come out of the hardship doesn't mean that it's not the providence of God, which also means then even though we don't see the blessing doesn't mean the blessing's not there and that we won't experience it at some point.
0: That's right. And we see this in the Psalmist, Psalm 119, you know, it's good for me to be afflicted because there, and I learned your law. Mm -hmm. So you might, well, man, you know I'm still afflicted, and I'm dying with thy affliction. But yeah, but did you learn to trust God more? Mm-hmm. Or in Second Corinthians one, I think about this a lot. With the Apostle Paul, where he describes, he refers to the trials and affliction that came to him while he was in Asia. He said, "I don't want you to be uninformed about this." So they knew something about it. They didn't. They didn't know everything about it. He said, "All these things came to me. So I was hard pressed. I was burdened beyond what I was able to bear. I despaired even of life. Mm-hmm. So he thought he was going to die." And there's a I don't want to make too much of this, but the language he uses there suggests that he might even have wanted to die. Mm. You know, that he was just the end of his rope. And then he says, but this happened to me to teach me not to trust myself, but in God who raises the dead. Mm. So, all right, the trials are there. The trials don't leave you, but in the midst of the trials, God strengthens your faith Mm -hmm. and you
1: trust him knowing that he is the God who raises the dead. So when we think about the doctrine of providence, That God upholds the creation which He has made, and then He guides all of creation towards its intended purpose. Um, Does that mean then that God just kind of uses us like sock puppets and (laughs) directly directs all of our actions and all of our words and all of our thoughts?
0: Yeah, case oras So let's just sit back, Mm -hmm. eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die, and God's going to do what He does. You know, not at all. Again, this is. This is so fundamental. It goes back to something we talk about a lot here Genesis 1 1. This is God's world. He created it. It is the way that He's designed it to be. And if we don't get that fundamental principle clear in our mind and maintain it, then we can go off the rails in so many directions because we can think, well, that's not fair. That's not loving. That's not just. And we're using all of our own ways of thinking about those ideas and concepts rather than what God says about each one of them. And so here's the reality I think this is fundamental because we need to understand that the world that is the reality that God has created is a world in which he is absolutely sovereign. He has so orchestrated the world that there is not a random molecule in it mm-hmm. that not even a bird falls to the ground apart from the will of our Father in heaven. That mm-hmm. even the hairs on our head are numbered. He meticulously ordains everything that happens. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you say that and people say, well, you're making God responsible for sin, right. right? Well, no, not at all. Because equal to that truth that God is absolutely sovereign is that we are absolutely responsible. Mm-hmm. And so there's no event. There's no action that I consciously take that I can blame on God mm-hmm. and say, you know, God, I sinned in this way, but because you're sovereign, it's your fault, not mine. Mm-hmm. Well, those those things don't make sense. They can't both be true. Well, guess what? Genesis one. This is the only world we got. This is what God created the world to be, where human responsibility and divine sovereignty are not at odds. They're hand in hand. And the sooner we come to accept that, and begin to get our minds in harmony with that revelation from scripture, the better our life is gonna go.
1: Yeah, in, in in many ways it is a mystery, the way in which it actually operates, and mm-hmm. the way in which God actually um, directs all things. But I think the confession is helpful here. In chapter five, it speaks of divine providence. It says in uh, paragraph two, all things come to pass unchangeably and certainly in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God. So you see how it's related mm-hmm. to God's eternal decree. Who is the first cause? Thus nothing happens to anyone by chance or outside of God's providence. That, that is, there's not one random molecule, uh, which God does not himself uh, direct. Yet by the same providence, God arranges all things to occur according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily freely or in response to other causes. And so this idea of second causes is very, is very important. And then in paragraph three, it goes on to say, in his ordinary providence, God makes use of means, that is those secondary causes, though he is free to work apart from them, beyond them and contrary to them at his pleasure. So ordinarily, God uses secondary causes. He himself is not uh, moving the lips of the people who are speaking. He's using second secondary causes to do that, uh, much as you would... Um, in playing billiards you would shoot the white ball to hit the eight ball into the pocket right the <laughs> the the uh, white ball would be that secondary cause well we can take that and and extrapolate that out into the way in which god Ordinarily operates in in providence, uh, but he does sometimes work contrary to those secondary causes. Sometimes he does uh, perform miracles. Sometimes he makes the sun stands still. Yeah, sometimes supernaturally he works in his creation, and yeah. we as Christians with the eyes of faith need to see that and accept that. Right. Understanding the doctrine of providence also, I think, will help us think about miracles
0: uh, mm-hmm. more realistically as well, because sometimes God works so wonderfully in providence that we see things that we would never have let ourselves hope too much would come to pass. We think, oh, God worked a miracle. When maybe it's not a miracle. Maybe it's just him using these secondary means uh, like doctors to cure cancer Mm -hmm. or uh, uh, blessings that come from friends that are unexpected. But nevertheless, it's still God. Mm -hmm. And so we shouldn't be any less thankful, any less amazed that God who rules his world so meticulously has ruled it in a way using secondary causes to accomplish good purposes for mm-hmm. his children. But yeah, that's a good statement from the confession. And of course, classic illustration from the old Testament is Joseph.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I mean, you just think about Joseph, read those last, what is it? Uh, 12 chapters or so in Genesis. And you see the life of Joseph. He was his father's favorite, had the special coat and, uh, probably himself wasn't, uh, Uh, He didn't help himself in his attitude toward his brothers, you know, and talking about the dream that God gave Mm -hmm. him seems like there's maybe some pride there, but regardless of where that's true, his brothers sell him into slavery. And he, as a young man, I mean, a teenager, most likely gets taken into Egypt and becomes a slave in Egypt. Mm -hmm. He's separated from his family. I mean, just think about what that must've been like for this guy in all those months and those years even when he gained favor with Potiphar and was put in charge of his whole household, still there must've been in Joseph, that sense of, man, I've been mistreated and it would been, it was true. Mm-hmm. He had been mistreated and he was living in a way that he shouldn't have had to live. Had it not been for the sin of his brothers, right. he would not have lived. So he, people's sin against Joseph put him in a place separated from family, familiar surroundings, in a position, in a situation he would never have chosen to be in. Mm-hmm. And then Potiphar's wife comes after him, seduces him, and what does he do? Well, he's, he's faithful to God, mm-hmm. faithful to God. Where does that wind him up? <laughs> in prison. Yep. So he stays in prison for, what, two years and, and um, answers the questions of dreams that came to uh, the baker and the cupbearer of the king. Cupbearer gets set free, just as Joseph told him it would happen. And he forgets Joseph. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He doesn't re- remember to keep his promise that he made to Joseph that he was going to uh, intercede for him in behalf of the king. So uh, all of that stuff. You just look at any one snapshot of Joseph's life, and you can say what a miserable situation. Right? How tragic. And it's all because of the wickedness of his brothers. Mm-hmm. Not anything that he did
1: to bring it on himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you. Uh he rises to the to the ranks of uh, prime minister in in <laughs> egypt uh through the faithfulness of god and the providence of god is brought out of the prison because his ability to foretell the future and see dreams and And then uh, in the famine in the land of Canaan, his family comes from Canaan into Egypt because Egypt is a very prosperous land, very fertile land. And Joseph is there overseeing the grain distribution. And what happens? He notices his brothers. His brothers notice him and they fall on their faces saying, (laughs) basically, please don't kill us for what we (laughs) did to you. And Joseph, being merciful and forgiving like his heavenly father, um, he says, you know, I will forgive you what you intended for evil. In Genesis fifty twenty, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. Yeah, And, and there you see the doctrine of divine concurrence in that those actions, that may be a single action in which a, a man makes takes an action, and he intends evil in that, but God's intention in that action is not evil but righteous. Yeah. So a single action but two different intentions, one of the creation, one of the creator. Yeah. Um, and this doesn't answer all the questions, certainly, yeah. uh, but it does help us to see the ways in which God does work in his providence through even the sinful acts of his creatures mm-hmm. uh, to bring about what is best for his creation and best for his glory.
0: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right and well put. And the doctrine of providence helps us to think about what is oftentimes a more problematic and bigger question of evil. Mm -hmm. Why is there evil in the world if there's a good God? Of course, that's an apologetic. Uh, debate that is held uh, many times. And, and you can look at any specific situation and we can all come up with horrible situations mm-hmm. in our own lifetimes or in the newspapers. We just lived through some things that happened in Memphis and uh, you know, a shooter that uh, went on a spree and put it on live streaming. I mean, it's just it, it, this is wickedness. You say, well, mm-hmm. where is God in the midst of that? But all of those questions about evil, they go right back to Genesis chapter 3 because why did God create a world in which... We can say it a number of ways. He knew Adam would sin, Mm -hmm. in which he allowed Adam to sin, in which he decreed Adam to sin. Mm -hmm. All those are legitimate questions, and they all ask about the same thing. And again, we can't give answers that will satisfy everyone, but we can take what the Bible teaches and look back on any event, any evil event in history, or Genesis 3, the first evil event in human history, and come up with some, what are to me, you know, not complete, but satisfying responses to that. And, and, and again, the, providence is a mystery. John Flavel in his book, The Mystery of Providence, says it's like the Hebrew language. It has to be read backwards. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to look back and say, oh, you, know, you can't look at the, the moment. So, okay, providentially, I know this is what God's doing, or next week, so this is what God in his providence is going to do. But what's going on there in Genesis 3? Well, I mean, could God have created a world in which there would be no sin? You're in some philosophical speculations there about the nature of God and his character and that character determining to be revealed and part of that character being mercy. Mm-hmm. Well, we would not know anything of God's mercy apart from sin mm-hmm. because no angel has ever tasted the mercy of God. Right. Good angels don't need it. Bad angels don't get it. Yeah. The only people who get mercy are People created in God's image who have rebelled against him that he then extends mercy to. So we learn about God and we experience that, which we could not experience any other way because of evil coming into the world.
1: Nor would we ever experience the great love of God manifested in his justice and he condemned in his condemnation of the wicked yeah. if there were not a fall. Um, again, we can speculate, but we do know at least those two things to be true. That's
0: right. And, and a, a life of faith, a life that starts with Genesis 1-1, that recognizes this is God's world and he's revealed truth to us, it's enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really does put ballast in the ship. You know, It mm-hmm. keeps you from being blown away when unexpected blessings come or unexpected trials come, no matter how severe or how great.
1: Yeah, and you know, when it comes to <clears throat> the, the Christian faith and personally, how, how do I use this? Or what is, as the Puritans would say, what is the use of this yeah. doctrine? Um, how do I apply this to my life? You know, the confession again, I think, is incredibly helpful um, when it speaks of the the sins um, of of those who are in Christ and the fact that God has um, providentially allowed those those sins to take place or to even take root in their lives. And in paragraph five. chapter 5 it says the perfectly wise righteous and gracious god often allows his own children for a time to experience a variety of temptations and the sinfulness of their own hearts he does this to chastise them for their former sins or to make them aware of the hidden strength of the corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts so that they may be humbled. So sometimes God in his providence disciplines his children by allowing them to uh, be overcome by their sinful lusts, or sometimes he just uh, shows, reveals to his children the powerful nature of their own corrupt fallen uh, hearts, and so then their need for reliance upon their Savior. He also does this to lead them to a closer and more constant dependence upon him to sustain them, to make them more cautious about all future circumstances that may lead to sin and for other just and holy purposes. So whatever happens Mm -hmm. to any of his elect happens by his appointment for his glory and for their good. Now this is not to say, okay, well in God's providence I have succumbed to this temptation or I have (laughs) sinned in this way. But we can know that even as God's children (laughs) and though we we will be disciplined for those sins, um, God is faithful to me and God is gracious to me and God is merciful to me even in this sin that I might learn to more fully depend upon him.
0: Yeah. I think of uh, people I know and situations I'm aware of where this is made so manifest, you Mm -hmm. know, where you you see someone who's standing in the rubble of uh, destruction from his own doing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's his fault. It's his sin. And yet God has redeemed that and turned that into something that testifies to his mercy, his grace, his power Mm -hmm. that wouldn't be known otherwise. And so I think it's easier sometimes to look at those things outside of ourselves. Yeah. But if we were really to exercise the eyes of faith and reality as we ought to inside of ourselves, Mm. we would be equally blown away. Yeah. The fact that we're not in hell, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what we deserve is a testimony to God's incredible kindness in all of our sin that, you know, you go back, man, and you, you just hate your sin if you think about it rightly. And it may be even seasons of life, you know, where you can say, man, I was just trapped in sin or mm-hmm. I was spiritually lethargic and indifferent. And you wish you never had gone there. But if you're thinking rightly and believing the providence of God, mm-hmm. you can praise God for it.
1: Absolutely. And it's in the providence of God that you were led there and then led out of it. And so that you right. can see in hindsight, you know, I hate my sin more because of what yeah. happened. That's right. Yeah. And, the, and the Lord sanctifies us through those. Yeah.
0: There's a lot of experiences that I wish I had never gone through in my life and I never want to go through a, again, but I'm so glad I'm not alive without them mm-hmm. because those experiences have taught me more yeah, amen. about God, about myself, about sin, about righteousness, about grace and love and mercy. Than anything else, I could have chosen or mm-hmm. designed for myself. And again, we see this woven all through Scripture. So we, we were talking a few minutes before we uh, uh, started recording, just about some of the biblical examples. And one of them is Hezekiah, mm-hmm. and I particularly love this one. I remember reading years and years ago a sermon by Spurgeon on providence, and he used Hezekiah, and mm-hmm. that was the first time this had ever jumped out to me uh, from the pages of Scripture. So in first or in Second Kings chapter twenty. We read in verse one, in those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die for you shall not recover. Oh, okay, there's a prophetic word from God. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. And what's Hezekiah do? Well, he turns to the wall, and he prays, and he asks the Lord for mercy. And then the Lord says to him, he, t- he tells Isaiah, go back in and tell Hezekiah, still in his sickbed, I will add 15 years to your life. And so you look at that, So, well, okay. Uh, first of all, he prophesied, thus says the Lord, and it didn't happen. So, you know, boy, that's a theological problem. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Isaiah uh, tells him one thing: Hezekiah prays, and God changes His mind. So God said He was going to do something because He prayed. He didn't do it. So prayer changes God's mind. So you know that's a a problem, until you keep reading. Mm-hmm. And when you keep reading, what the confession is summarized for us to be the biblical teaching on providence just comes into to stark relief, because in chapter twenty one of Second Kings, the first verse says, Manasseh the son of Hezekiah, was 12 years old when he began to reign. So he began to reign when his father Hezekiah died. So his father Hezekiah died 15 years after he was told he was going to die, that 15-year grace period that God extended his life, which means had he died before the 15-year grace period, extended years, Manasseh wouldn't have been born.
1: Right. Manasseh was born three years into that 15 year grace period.
0: Yeah. So what's going on there? God's providence. Mm -hmm. God was overseeing that event. He was using secondary causes. So he sends the prophet to make the announcement and he uses that announcement in the life of Hezekiah to put him to praying. He uses the prayer of Hezekiah to bring about the fulfillment of his promise to bring Messiah into the world by keeping that genealogy alive mm-hmm. through Manasseh, who would be born to his father Hezekiah during those 15-year grace period. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a wonderful testimony of exactly what we're talking about, the
1: providence of God. And yeah, you see that all throughout redemptive history in the scriptures in these insignificant little points that were seemingly insignificant. I mean, the story of Ruth, you know, what, what. What does that matter in (laughs) in the course of redemptive history? Uh, Rahab, the prostitute in the city of Jericho, all these things that happen and you see in the providence of God, it just so happened. I mean, how did Rahab come across the spies in Jericho, right? In the providence of God, she saw them in the market or something like that. And they met and the Lord saved her through that. And Mm -hmm. because of that, you know, the Messiah comes from her line. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And I think one important thing um, for Christians to do is to continually remember these things, to take stock of these things, to, to see the providence of God in mm-hmm. history. And what Christians are doing is they're putting money in the bank for those times when they fall into the frowning providence of God, Yeah, right? Those, yeah. those times where it's difficult to see the faithfulness of God in my circumstance, how I'm going to come out of where I am now, whether it's due to your own sin or someone else's sin or just difficult times, maybe it's your health Um, how is it that I'm going to trust God in this time? How is it that I'm going to come up out of this? How can I receive any blessing in what God has given me here? Well, how many times have you seen God in his providence Mm -hmm. and be faithful to his people in the past? Mm -hmm. You take that money out of the bank now that you've been storing it up and you can use it and you can trust God in those difficult times that he will bring blessing even in that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, And it comes from reading the Bible, uh, holistically, you know, our, our, our rigorous biblical theology, because God tells a story in the Bible, and it's a story about what He is doing in His creation. And that story has an ending that He's revealed to us. Not all the details and as stark uh, clarity as we might like, but it is there. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ wins. He is going to come and make everything new. And all that is happening between creation and that new creation is working out according to God's sovereign will. And so whatever happens to me, blessing or trial, is a part of that overarching story. Mm -hmm. And we know, we know God is directing and God is going to bring it to pass just as he has promised. So we can live by promises when God's providence seems to suggest the opposite. Mm -hmm. Providence on any given day, you know, Job, think about Job, good night, that day. Mm Lost family, lost possessions, lost wealth, lost respect, and then lost health. Lost, lost the support of his wife. I mean, it looked like God was angry at him. God was punishing him, which is exactly what his three friends tried to convince him of. And and yet, that's not true. Mm. It, it, those those things that looked providentially to, uh, to 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 indicate God is offended. God is angry at you. God is punishing you it wasn't true. And Job was able in the midst of that, knowing far less than we know, mm-hmm. having far less revelation than we have today in Christ who walked the earth and was crucified, dead and buried. And we look back on that, was able to say, I know that my redeemer lives. Mm-hmm. I know I will see God. He, it was faith. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what this doctrine does. It, it helps us to lay hold of promises. When the promises of God seem to be contradicted by the providence of God. Right. You don't take your cues from providence. You take your cues from the promises, and you look back and see providence
1: and say, okay, that just further confirms the promises. Yeah, you don't, you, there's such a danger in attempting to exegete God's providence without his promises. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. Um, you know, you can be in the midst of the providence of God and, and try to take. Um, ethical commands um, out of providence as if, you know, God has done these things, so he must want me to do this <laughs> right. without any sort of reference to the word of God. And certainly we need to recognize that God's providence, it is God's revelation you know, but it's his general revelation. It's not his special revelation to us in his, as recorded in his word. Um, and so we need to recognize, as the confession says, that the word of God is sufficient for all matters of faith. Yeah. Right? And so we don't need to be looking to all the ways in which God is working through secondary means in our lives and in the lives of others. Rather, we need to be looking to the word of God and understanding God's providence in light of what the word of God says.
0: Yeah. And, and when difficulties come to our lives, we, we should be open. To correction. And the question is, you know, is this because of something that God's disciplining me for? But we need to make a distinction between God's punishment and God's discipline. At least those are the categories I use to help me think about these things rightly. That as a Christian, God will never punish me for my sins. Because what's the only just punishment for sin? It's hell. (laughs) Okay, Mm -hmm. He punished my sins in Christ. Does that mean God won't discipline me? Of course not. Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And so there very well might be something in my life that the Lord is uh, calling to my attention and uh, calling me to repent of or to deal rigorously with that I've just been blinded to and kind of nonchalantly lived with when I should have been taking more notes. So we ought to be open to that, but we ought to guard against any kind of sense that, oh no, you know, if if God really loved me, he wouldn't have let this happen. So I've lost God's love or I've sinned away God's grace, mm-hmm. or it's because of my sin that these bad things are coming to me. N- maybe not,
1: mm-hmm. you know, be, be open, keep it open handed.
0: Right. <laughs> I remember one time many years ago, uh, we had a, a fellow in our church who'd been a pastor. And uh, anyway, we, we, we went through some real trials in the church. I mean, just real severe trials. And this guy, came to see me, and he, he said, Tom, he said, uh, said, there has to be some sin in your life. And he said, I want to talk to you real practically, real personally. So he just started grilling me, you know, man, are you doing this? Have you done this? And he said, what what sin do you know in your life? I said, brother, I said, I'm a cesspool of sin that mm-hmm. remains in my life, you know. <laughs> and, but he, he was convinced that there was something Mm. Specific that was scandalous, and goofy. that's
1: why the church was facing trials. That's right. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, and he was not satisfied. He he walked away, thinking that I was just deceiving him. Mm. You know, and and I am thinking on the one hand, I mean, you you take any slice of my life, any day, any moment, and you can see enough sin to open up a whole new chamber in hell. Mm. It's worthy of that, but on on the other hand, man, I can't point to you and say, Oh yeah, it's this, you know, these are things happening because of this. And so it's dangerous. If you, if you don't understand God's providence, you can be like Job's friends that uh, were not helpful to him at all and actually hinder and and harm God's people right. in wrong thinking. And we've got to, to guard against that. You know, another uh, illustration we were talking about is uh, with Paul, you know, on the ship in Acts 27 mm Uh, because providence doesn't negate secondary causes. Mm -hmm. And again, if you're not understanding the providence of God, you can misunderstand what Luke writes in Acts 27. Paul's on the ship on the way to Rome, and storm comes up, and uh, people are concerned, the the folks in charge are concerned that they're going to just break up on the ship. And Paul says in verse 22 of Acts 27, I now urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong, to whom I worship, and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. All right, there's a promise of God, so let's just lay back and let the storm turn, toss us wherever it will. But that's not at all uh, what happens. And Paul says, I have faith in God. It will be exactly as I've been told. But then it was discovered that there were some sailors who were trying to Get lifeboats and jump in them and leave the ship to save Mm -hmm. their own lives. And Paul, down in verse thirty-one, said to the centurion in charge of him, "Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved." Hmm. So, which is it? You know, I mean, is God going to keep His promise to Paul, or are the is the ship going to be lost and people be lost because these sailors are in the lifeboat? Right. Secondary causes, secondary action. So we're never free. To not do what God's instructed us to do. We're never free to not live wisely, but we're always responsible to take our cues for our duty from what God has revealed and then trust Him as He has revealed to us that He providentially rules and overrules all the affairs of life. Amen. You know, uh, Grandma, you, you have an interesting kind of background mm-hmm. in how God brought salvation into your family, to your Mm -hmm. father, and then your father's journey, your journey to bring you to where you are today. Yeah, Uh, Talk about that for just a minute.
1: Yeah, it is interesting. My my father grew up Mennonite and uh, was not converted until uh, his late teenage years and was converted kind of in a more charismatic uh, circle back in the 70s. And of course, in the 70s, the charismatic movement, as it is today, you know, modern sort of rock music was very big deal. And so he got he was drawn to that. And he always had a desire for music. And so he ended up joining a Christian rock band in the late 70s, where he met um, my future father in law. (laughs) Um, And they became great friends and were in each other's weddings. And my father in law was a guitarist. My dad was the front man and the vocalist in the band. Well, they maintained that great friendship for years. And even when he had, my father in law had children and my father had children. You know, we were friends um, and spent a lot of time together. And then I ended up marrying one of his Daughters. So it providentially, you know, God put my dad in a Christian rock band in the late seventies, and then eventually, I, you know, I find my wife because of it.
0: Yeah, there you go. See, so I'll you tell your family story brought together by rock and roll. Right? <laughs>
1: one thing led to another.
0: Yeah. Well, I think about even being here in Florida, thirty-six years at Grace Baptist Church, mm-hmm. and that happened through one of the most difficult times of my life, where I left the church I was in in Dallas, and I thought it was over. I mean, mm-hmm. I really thought. God's finished with me no more ministry and uh, I'll try to figure out a way to live take care of what was then a very young family of a two-year-old and six-month-old and I I didn't have any hopes until I was at a meeting with Ernie Reisinger and he says man so I've just started going to this church in Cape Coral Florida I said I think it's got potential you know I think that it's a new church and I think they they love the word and you know you ought to come out here and uh, they just got rid of their pastor that had started the church and So anyway, one thing led to another, and providentially, and here I am 36 years later. I never had any interest in living in Florida, and God, in his wisdom, and kindness and mercy brought me to what is now the
1: greatest state in the nation <laughs> of the United States. So. And that's, that's, uh, that's saying something coming from, coming from I, the mouth of a Texan. I know,
0: you know. I mean, I love Texas. Uh, I used to keep my passport to Texas up to date, but now I'm not so concerned about yeah. that because of Florida. No, God's providence has just been uh, amazing. And whenever you get it, you believe it, you take the doctrine, and you accept the teaching of the Scripture doctrinally, and you begin to apply it to your life. Mm-hmm. It just sets you free Amen. gives you joy. So study God's providence. Look at chapter five of the 1689 confession. If you don't have a copy of this, you can get it online for free at founders.org. You can order your own copy or copies for a Bible study. From founders.org, we'd be glad to supply those to you. So thanks for listening to us today. We especially want to thank our Founders Alliance members. They support us regularly, helping us to produce this kind of content. And if Founders can be of any service to you, if we can help you or your church in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us because it would bring us joy to be useful to you. So thank
1: you for listening.